So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the Eagle Moss Shop, home of official Star Trek collectibles available only from Eagle Moss, including the eagerly anticipated USS Franklin Special Edition Starship from Star Trek Beyond. Use promo code MISSION for 10% off Star Trek collectibles with your order of $50 today at shop.eaglemoss.com USA. Mission Log a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 236. Frame of Mind. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek looking for truths. Or do we? This week, Frame of Mind. The one where all Riker wanted was a Pepsi, and they wouldn't give it to him. All Riker wanted was a Pepsi, and they wouldn't give it to him. He's not the one that's crazy. You're the one that's crazy. He's not the one that's crazy. You're the one that's Ken, crazy. Ken, 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 It may be time for another treatment. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. <clears throat> Coming up, a bit of trivia, but first... Oh, but first, a word from the Eagle Moss shop and a thing about which I am very excited. Um, John mentioned right before the show started. Yeah. Yeah. This is exciting. I'm, whole, I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> I like this. So Eagle Moss, as you know, we talked a lot about the tiny little starships that they have. We've talked about the uh, the graphic novels that they have. Uh, they are the home of officially authorized uh, stuff by CBS Studios. And what they brought us this week, <laughs> it is the... Um, well, it's the Franklin. I, I, I don't, yeah. you know, there's words written here, but can I just say, I got very excited about the tiny little starships we had, and they are fantastic. Uh, we've both got a, a nice uh, NCC-1701 as well. That's absolutely fantastic. When I saw Star Trek Beyond and I saw the Franklin for the first time, I thought to myself, I want that. <laughs> no, I mean, not not like the whole ship, but I'd settle for that. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I was really looking forward to when there were models or when there were, you know, figures or things like that, we'd just be able to walk into the store and pick up. And um, yeah, the Franklin, the Franklin is, uh, what, they, what they've produced here is just really something. It's stunning. It is a beautiful model. And here's the thing. So a little bit of trivia for you because, you know, I do the trivia thing. Uh, the registration on the Franklin is NX326, right? You know why it's 326? March 26 was Leonard Nimoy's birthday. Really? How nice is that? That's, a, that's actually a very cool tip of the hat. It is a nice little nod to uh, Leonard Nimoy. So the Franklin was the first Earth starship capable of Warp 4, if you know your Star Trek history. It mysteriously vanished while on a mission only to be found by the Enterprise's crew years later, half buried on the planet Altamid, as depicted in the most recent Star Trek theatrical release, as you mentioned, Ken, Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, now what's really cool about this, too, is... We've talked before about the attention to detail that Eagle Moss pays to these things. I, I got the I got this Franklin, and I honestly thought that there was something wrong with it. Yeah, because it was dirty. <laughs> Why is it dirty, John? Because you because just said it, it was half yeah. buried on a planet. The first time we actually see it, it's been laying on a planet under a bunch of rocks and dirt uh, for 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 a very long time. And yeah. so that is the Franklin that you get as well. Now, while this is not life-size, um, it is also not one of the tiny little starships either. Uh, just under eight inches in length, uh, hand-painted, as I say, uh, die-cast. Comes, of course, with that wonderful the, the magazine, you know, featuring product artwork and, you know, highlights about the ship's history and design and things like that. Basically, if you've, if you've seen any of the Eagle Moss stuff, it is that level of quality, and it's the Franklin. All right, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Um, all of you who are listening, you're going to go crazy when you see this. I promise you that. <laughs> so, And we'll make it very easy for you to see it and order one if you like. Use the code MISSION. 
today for 10% off Star Trek collectibles with your order of $50 on the Eagle Moss shop. To order, visit shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA and enter that promo code MISSION at checkout. That address again is shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA and enter the promo code MISSION at checkout. And once again, we do sincerely thank Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. We haven't done the send us pictures of your ships thing for a while. I, I wouldn't mind having those again. Yeah, well, if people want to send us pictures of their Franklin once they get it, or, you know, whatever they get, because I was listening to the ad, it's 10% off your Star Trek collectibles order. It's not just the Franklin. Yeah, $50 or more. So, I mean, you know, you get your Franklin, you get your uh, you get your wall plaque, you know, all the stuff you get, and then send pictures of all of it to us because, you know, we get tired of looking at our own stuff and we want to look at yours. <laughs> the way to do that, by the way, a bunch of ways to get in touch with us. Hey, you can post your pictures to Facebook. You can put them on Twitter. You can send them by email. And I'm going to tell you how to do all that. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Uh, pictures do not work that way, though. So that's the one way you probably don't want to do that. But we're coming back with another way to send them. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Today's episode can frame of mind. Let's talk about trivia. It was written by Brandon Braga. So... Let's talk a little about where we are in the production cycle. We're coming up on the end of season six. Uh, maybe there's some burnout. <laughs> there's a bit of a scramble at the end for what scripts will get pushed into production. And at least one of those scripts falls hmm. through. So Brannon had a very simple pitch, which was Riker wakes up in an insane asylum. And well, furthermore, that insane asylum is on an alien planet. And he doesn't know where he is or who he is. Now, nobody really knew what to do with it. And it really wasn't the most popular idea. Still, Jerry Taylor is the one who pushed it through, and the writing staff broke the story in three days. Now, this is a huge risk. They had to break the story no matter what. And if it didn't work, then it didn't work. <laughs> there might not have been a show. So what they ended up with was a story that Brandon said he was very proud of in the end. Um, we've mentioned before Brandon's interest in horror and kind of dark storylines. He actually mentioned that he had also used Roman Polanski's 1965 film Repulsion, starring Catherine Deneuve, as influence here because of the main character's questioning of reality. Now, this episode was directed by James L. Conway, maybe an unfamiliar name, but we have seen his work before. He directed just two other next-gen episodes a long time before this one, Justice and The Neutral Zone, way back in season one. And he will be back for more in the director's chair on Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. He directed Neutral Zone? Yep. Mm -hmm. So he's friends with LQ Sonny Clements. And presumably the insufferable Claire Raymond. <laughs> oh, see, that was going to be the third. Uh -huh. I thought you were going to go for Ralph Offenhouse, since that's, you know, who you dressed up as. I always go for Ralph Offenhouse. I mean, he's he's quite the man. I was going to say the insufferable Claire Raymond. So, yeah. oh well. We both get to say it, though, so it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, there's a little trick that Star Trek likes to do, and I didn't mention it last time, but I will here. There usually aren't any exterior shots of where we are if what's happening on screen is an illusion. So remember back in Ship in a Bottle, we didn't get any exterior shots as long as what was happening was the holodeck within the holodeck. In this episode, we have no exterior shots again until the end when Riker is back on board. So it's a little bit of a tip-off as to what's happening and where they are in physical space. Now, let's talk about guest stars. We have Andrew Prine as Suna. Andrew has been working as an actor constantly since the 1950s when he starred on Playhouse-type shows and then TV guest spots. Uh, his background also heavily comes from live theater, and he appeared on a lot of classics like uh, Dr. Kildare, The Virginian. Uh, he was in the original two miniseries, V and V, The Final Battle. And uh, he also appeared in the 1962 film The Miracle Worker as James Keller. 
he will be back for a guest spot on Deep Space Nine. And, um, you know, I think that's really pretty much the, the highlights there for him. I think that's really the major. I don't think I'm leaving anything out. Okay. Well, good then. Unless you're unless you're leaving out Kolchak the Night Stalker. Oh, right, right. Kolchak. Kolchak the Night Stalker. He was indeed on Kolchak the Night Stalker. No moonlighting, though. Nope. Nope. No moonlighting. Sorry. Uh, Gary Wernz as Mavek. Now, Gary really started in the TV guest star circuit in the mid-80s. Before Next Gen, he pops up in L.A. Law, China Beach, Simon & Simon. Movie appearances include J. Edgar and Deep Impact. We have David Selberg as Dr. Cyrus. Now, David, we have met before. He was the historian Whalen in The Big Goodbye. And we mentioned some of his career highlights at the time. Uh, Some of his feature film appearances include The Born Identity Species, uh, The Man with One Red Shoe. I may not have mentioned uh, that his first professional credit was On the Right Track with Gary Coleman. That one was for you, Tori, if you're listening. And uh, he will be back for more Trek in Voyager and Enterprise. And finally, Susanna Thompson as Jaya. She's the inmate who made her own communicator in this episode. We met her once before as well in a small part in season five's The Next Phase. Now, both of these are pretty early in her career, but she definitely kept working constantly after that. Most recently, she has had recurring roles on NCIS, Timeless, and Arrow, and we will definitely see more of her when she returns for a spot on Deep Space Nine, and then in a major way on Voyager. Interior. Because it is all interior. Prologue. Commander Riker is having a a bad day, apparently. He's agitated, nervous, and he's pleading with Data about how remorseful he is about something he did but insists he's better now. The longer this goes on, we realize it's a scene from a play, and Dr. Crusher is the director. Riker flubs one of the lines. Uh, he's a bit in his head about what he's doing, but she insists that he's doing fine. He just needs to relax into the role. Rehearsal is done for the night, and Riker walks the corridors of the Enterprise, still practicing his lines. At the turbo lift, he runs into a crewman neither he nor we has ever seen before. It gives him pause. Act 1. Back to the day job. Captain Picard briefs Riker on an upcoming mission. He is going to Talonus Four, where political upheaval has put a Federation research team in jeopardy. They're likely in hiding, and with no central authority on the planet, they have nowhere to go. With groups splintered on Talonus, each vying for power, it's anarchy. The safety of the Federation team is of utmost importance, and reports indicate that the groups on Talonus are resorting to torture for information gathering. The Federation team may be a target. It's a dangerous mission to find and rescue them. Riker will have to travel alone. He's got some time, though, about five days until they arrive. Plenty of time to finish rehearsing that play. Next stop is Q Branch. In this case, it's Worf giving Riker his briefing. Clothes to pass as a local and a communicator hidden in a pendant he can wear. Now pay attention, Riker. He'll also need to familiarize himself with a ceremonial blade used in bartering ceremonies. Worf is excited about this one, a little too excited as he accidentally cuts Riker's right temple in the process. No big deal. Dr. Crusher will fix him right up and remind him about play rehearsal later. Riker is fine, though the spot where the wound was is still in a little pain. At that moment, a crewman is carried in sickbay, horribly burned after a plasma torch explosion. But as he's being treated, he looks right at Riker, just stares directly into him. It freaks him out a little. In 10 forward, Riker tells Deanna how he was affected by this, as if the crewman was blaming him for the incident. He feels like he's being watched, and that makes him uneasy. Deanna thinks it might just be the play he's in, frame of mind. It's full of material that taps into the dark side of the human psyche. He should explore that. About then, that sore spot on Riker's head acts up again, and then he notices that unknown crewman he bumped into at the turbolift the other night. Weird. The next night, the play is up, and Riker is killing it playing the role of an inmate pleading his innocence, and Data is his captor slash doctor. At the curtain call, it's clear the show is a hit. But after Riker comes up from a bow, there's that mystery man again in the audience. After another bow, the audience disappears, and Riker finds himself alone in a room with the alien, this time not in a Starfleet uniform, and announcing, 
We have a lot of work to do. Act 2. Riker is in a cell. The alien doctor tells him that he's not, in fact, Commander William Riker of Starfleet. In fact, they contacted Starbase 29 and Starfleet had no record of him. So who is the alien? He's Dr. Cyrus. And the pain in Riker's head? He tried to escape and hit his head during an altercation with one of the attendants. And this place? Ward 47, ding, 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 of the Talonis Institute for Mental Disorders. And why is Riker here? Well, that's a story for another time. Then a voice announces to Riker that he has been invited to spend a couple of hours in the common area. Riker accepts, and the attendants walk him at gunpoint to the area, passing by other inmates and hearing muffled screams from behind closed doors. In the common area, the faces of disheveled, tortured people look back at Riker. One of them, a woman, approaches Riker quietly and tells him that she too is a Starfleet officer from the Yorktown and is working to get the dozen or so abductees back to safety. She even says that she made a communicator, which she reveals to be a spoon. The attendant, Mavek, escorts her away and takes away the spoon. He brings Riker his lunch and then engages in a little conversation about what brought him here. Riker, he says, killed a man, mutilated him, and fought fiercely when being brought to the Institute. So yeah, in Mavek's opinion, Riker is disturbed, crazy. The more Mavic pushes, the more agitated Riker becomes until he leaps up, going for Mavic's throat. Mavic pulls a syringe to subdue Riker, and just then Riker wakes up in his own bed on board the Enterprise. Act 3. It's an hour before curtain for the second night of the play, and Riker's getting ready. He tells Dr. Crusher about his terrible dream, and she's glad he's okay. Maybe he's just absorbing the role. The play is up. Data is back in place as the doctor, and Riker is chewing that scenery again as the disturbed patient. He glances at the window cut into the door of his cell on stage, and a face that's familiar pops up. It's Mavek. The audience is still there, but Riker is spooked, forgetting his lines for a moment. He continues, but seeing that alien crewman in the audience, the one who looks like the aliens in the Talonis Institute, forces him to grab the crewman and shout that he's the key to all of this. Beverly escorts Riker to sickbay. She can't really find anything wrong with him other than the elevated heart rate and blood pressure that would come from stress and exhaustion. He tells her about the injection he got, but she still can't find any sign. Everyone else seems to have shaken this off for now. The alien crewman, Lieutenant Suna, is fine. Data congratulates Riker on his improvisation. For his part, Riker just needs some rest. But before he even gets to his quarters, he can hear the voice of Dr. Cyrus telling him he needs another treatment. The turbo lift doors open, and it's the Institute. Then it's the Enterprise, and there's the woman from the Institute who thought she was from the Yorktown. Now racing back to his quarters, Riker finds when the door closes behind him that he's back in his cell on Talonis 4. Act 4. Riker confides in Dr. Cyrus. He thinks he's hallucinating the Enterprise and he needs help, though he's still not sure if he killed someone. Dr. Cyrus informs him that there is possibility of a criminal trial, though, and one of the ways they can get to the bottom of this is through reflection therapy, a type of brain scan that will holographically project Riker's memories. That will help determine what happened and if he is fit to stand trial at all. The only other option is a synaptic reconstruction, a surgical procedure that would leave McMurphy, I mean Riker, a completely different person. Riker agrees to the reflection therapy. As the therapy begins, Riker's memory manifests images of the crew we know, Deanna Troy, Worf, Picard, and then Lieutenant Suna. But what happened? Riker was afraid, alone in a dark alley, and he was attacked. But why? Suna is actually the hospital administrator. Then the image of Troy speaks up. Don't believe any of this. It's not real. Riker replies that they are all delusions. As Riker's confusion and anxiety rises, the holograms disappear, but Dr. Cyrus congratulates him for dismissing those delusions. In the common area of the Institute, Dr. Crusher stops by and greets Riker, but he's dismissive, assuming she isn't real. She tells him to listen. The undercover mission on Talonis 4 went wrong, and Riker may have killed someone. They're working to break him out. Later that night, as Riker sleeps, Worf and Data attempt to forcibly break him out. When Mavic and one of the Institute guards show up, though, Riker grabs Worf's phaser and runs for cover behind his captors. 
Act 5. Worf and Data fight back, of course, and they win, of course. A second later, and the three of them beam up to the Enterprise. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher tends to Riker and sees that there has been damage to his parietal lobe. It's as if someone were trying to access his memories. He's still in pain, but his wound is treated, and then it bleeds again. Why isn't Dr. Crusher's tool working? This isn't real either. Then Riker grabs a phaser and points it at himself. With a blast, the Enterprise sickbay and the people in it shatter around him like glass. Then he finds himself in his room at the Institute with Mavek and Dr. Cyrus. But what about them? He fires at Mavek, who also shatters like glass. When the doctor insists that the phaser is a knife and he needs to hand it over, Riker sets it to level 16 to bring down the building therein. He fires, and the wall shatters, revealing the Enterprise crew as if they're watching the play again. Suna is there, the only constant in both realities. The wound on Riker's head becomes more painful, and the audience bursts into applause every time Riker confronts Suna. Turning to the door of his cell, that reality shatters, and Riker finds himself restrained on an examination table with a probe stuck in his head on his right temple. On a table nearby are his tricorder, the ceremonial knife, and the communicator Worf had made for him. Oh, and a SIG water bottle, because you should only travel with the best. When the doctor realizes he's conscious, Riker makes a break for it, grabbing the knife and then using the communicator to demand an emergency beam out. Safely back on board the real Enterprise, Riker is treated by the real Dr. Crusher this time, and he seems to be really okay. The story is that Riker had been abducted two days into his mission. After that, he was drugged, and it may have been an attempt to gain information about his mission. In any case, his subconscious was grasping for any hints of reality to keep him sane, which is why he kept jumping from one reality to another. He's going to need some rest, of course, but there's one last thing he needs to do. On stage, Riker insists to Dr. Crusher that he has to do something. She leaves, and then by hand, Riker starts to tear away the set walls of his cell. The end. You left out the part where the top was spinning on the table at the end of the show. Oh, yeah, well, of course. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and it just keeps going and then cut to black. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we assume it stops at some point. Mm-hmm, well. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. Hey, what happened to Riker in his first year at the Academy? Yeah, why do you ask? I mean, I have ideas about what Riker did in his first year at the Academy. Because she said something like, didn't she say something when they were talking about the play? Mm -hmm. She said something like, you feel like the whole world's against you. And he said, like in my first year at the Academy. Oh, Hmm. Is this anything we know about, or is this just like a yeah, not, just like a thing that they just dropped off there for us? I yeah yeah, they just kind of dropped it off. I mean, maybe it was more more daddy stuff, you know. I mean, it uh, never really know because that was a casual mention of something that sounds like it was a fairly big thing. Yeah, maybe we really don't explore it. Yeah, unless it was just a weird little like thing that was not left for us by the writers, but left by Riker for the people that were trying to get at his memories. Yeah. Like maybe that was like a, he was trying to give them like a little side thing to go down. Oh, like, yeah. oh, like my first year at the Academy. And they're like, oh, what's this Academy stuff? Yeah, Let's right. go look for that instead right. of a secret mission. Uh, we actually don't know him though, and we're not invested. So maybe we should just look for the secret <laughs> mission stuff and leave it to other people to worry about his first year at the Academy. And they would come back and they were like, we learned so much about Boothby. That, that's some valuable information. You know? <laughs> nice. Who doesn't remember him? Right. Of course. Because Booth, Boothby's like that. Yeah. Boothby don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to say that as a guy who has worked on many plays, uh, I do think that, you know, ideally the holodeck in the future should be used for theatrical productions. I, I just don't know why they're in 10 forward. You, you got to build a set. Guinan's got to like move out for a little while and people can't get drinks. Just go to the holodeck. Well, I wasn't sure that they were in 10 forward, but I will say I do understand why you have to build a set. Well, it, 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 they, they weren't literally in 10 forward, but yeah, they, uh, on the show in production reality, they're using the 10 forward set. Yeah. yeah right, yeah. right, right. But, I mean, here's the thing. We don't need actors either, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Everybody's happy. Everybody's cool. We could w go just to the holodeck and watch a production of Frame of Mind starring Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Or, you know, whoever it is that we want to yeah. be in it. I'll make up some actor like they would on Star Trek. We could watch it with uh, Orson Welles or Al Pacino or Garlock Mon. 
any number of people we could actually see in it, right? He was my favorite, yeah. Garlock, I mean, he he really brought something new to the part, something we hadn't really seen since um yeah, yeah, since Kevin Nealon did it. It's so like one good. of his last performances. He so lived good. much longer than we expected too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um no, but here's the thing. Like so lately I've been making paper. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a woodworker. He actually, I mean, I say he was a woodworker. He's still alive. He just doesn't do woodwork much anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can buy all the paper I want. And, uh, you know, he can buy all the chess boards and bassinets he wants. You know, those yeah. are some of the things that he made. Little boxes and things like that. Yes, you can just recreate all this stuff, but you can also just watch somebody else. Why does Riker want to act? Why does Beverly want to direct? And then there's probably somebody who's like... Yeah, sure, we could just go to the holodeck, but I think I could actually build you something. And I would like Hmm. to build you something that Hmm. would do this. So, I mean, you know, the theatrical arts in all of their forms are alive and well in the 24th century is what I'm saying. Maybe it's my bias. I mean, I I get why in the 24th century you would want to act. I mean, there is something about getting into a role and studying a script. And as Deanna says, you know, touch on to that part of your psyche. I guess I I was always the actor who skipped stage crew. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you never wanted to work tech. I get it. Never, never wanted, wanted to work tech. tech. Yeah, I uh, didn't want that. But here's the thing with a holodeck, you could actually construct a set that has all the problems of a real set. You could like have sawdust. Or you could have nails <sighs> exposed coming out of the back. You were just terrible. You were just terrible. You know, with a holodeck, you could also have real actors instead of the first in command or second in command. Mm, yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, there are things that people want to pursue. And so, yeah. you know. You're just you're just eliminating the parts that you don't care about. <laughs> well, again, my my show, my holodeck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. true. That's true. I did wonder though, like, why not build the set on the holodeck anyway? Mm-hmm. And then you could just have like nice seats. You could put them in a real theater, but you could still leave the the stage part blank. So like you could you could be watching Riker in the old Vic with like you know mm-hmm. beautiful seats and a wonderful mm-hmm. proscenium. And still a crappy set built by somebody who's got to pull a shift in engineering that they didn't expect to. So they don't have as much time to build the set as they had hoped. I, I will just share this one little story. I worked with a director one time who twice in two different plays had open flames on set and both times caught the set on fire. Um, so I, I think that that's a great thing for a holodeck to be able to reproduce, but safely, you know. <laughs> yeah. But can we go to the part where somebody actually let him do that a second time? <laughs> yeah, well, it was a different state, actually, where that happened. So, yeah. Yeah, he didn't. Oh, no, that, I've done this before. It worked out fine. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Most mm-hmm. nights, the set didn't catch on fire. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, there's a moment that just sort of, I, I, I went back and watched it a few times because I was trying to get the reaction out of it. I, I know that Riker just got cut in the face by Worf. And that Worf is really excited about this knife and he's flashing it around. But, man, Riker seems really mad. Yeah. And then he's all smiles when he was Beverly. But but it's not one of those like, ow, that really hurt. Oh, look, I know that you didn't mean it, but it still hurts. So I'm going to walk away. He's just, man, is he mad. Well, all right. Here's the problem. Nothing actually happens in this episode. No, it's all fake. Right. So, I mean, he had actually been all smiles with Worf before Worf cut him. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Riker's like, I need to bring some extra boots. And Worf's like, dude, you're not taking this seriously. Yeah. And then and and then Worf's like, oh, and I made you this thing, this pendant, and it's got a, it's got a communicator chip in it, and and Riker's like, yeah, it doesn't really match the outfit though, right? And Worf's right. like, you are seriously not taking this seriously. <laughs> so I mean, at that point, you know, then when when Worf cuts him, yeah, I I, I kind of see Riker being a just a whole ball of uh, confused emotion at that point because he was trying to be funny, and you know, Worf's not, and then Worf cuts him, and you know, he's not going to laugh that off really for a couple of reasons. First of all, he could have put his eye out, could have. Yeah. And additionally, Worf's been kind of weird the whole time. Yeah. But look, if Picard can get stabbed through the heart and lay there on the floor for several minutes until somebody comes by to help him out and put in a new heart, I'm okay with Riker losing an eye. He's going to be fine. Going to be fine. (laughs) Maybe if he had actually lost an eye, he'd just be there laughing his fool head off. Mm -hmm. Not unlike unlike Picard. Picard. I couldn't help thinking about Raising Arizona in Uh this episode. There were lots of, like, 80s references in this episode. Like, the thing at the top of the show, that's uh, Suicidal Tendencies, Institutionalized. Uh Uh, One of the earliest punk songs I remember. Um, And then there was a bit of Raising Arizona, where, you know, the the, Dr. Cyrus, I guess it is, says, you're not just telling me what I want to hear, are you? And I was thinking about the part where they're, like, you know, where they've got high, H.I. McDonough. 
you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 he's saying, I'm all better now. I'm never going to rob again. And they're saying, you're not just telling us what we want to hear, are you? And he says, no, sir, no way, no how. And they say, well, we just want to hear the truth. He says, okay, well, I guess I am telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> and they say, didn't we just tell you not to do that? Yeah. And, and it actually, but I mean, I, I've always loved that. Right. It's very funny. But it's also like, I mean, it really does sort of illustrate the problem that Riker has entirely. I mean, as in the prologue as well, right? Like, I'm I'm totally fine now, and I and I own up to what I did. I just want to go free. You don't think you should be tried? Well, I don't think I did anything, <laughs> but you said you owned up to what you did. Really, I'm good. Right. I mean, you know, but it's not, it's not going to... Right. And over in the corner, there's a spinning top. See, this is a good illustration of uh, how our minds work. Uh, the spinning top, for sure. Uh, you go to suicidal tendencies. You go to Raising Arizona. For me, at the end of the episode with uh, Deanna explaining what happened to Riker, I went to Dr. Hans Zarkov saying, uh, as I was going under, I started to recite Shakespeare, the Talmud, the formulas of Einstein, anything I could remember, even a song from the Beatles. It armored me, girl. They couldn't wipe those things away. Yeah, Ring a bell? No? Well, I know who Dr. Hans Zarkov is, so I know you're doing the 1980 Flash Gordon. I just I just, yeah. just can't believe you can quote anything from that movie. Dude, I, uh, Lorenzo Simple Jr.? Oh, yeah. I understand what you're saying. I I know. You yeah. keep telling me. That is an <laughs> and I keep saying infinitely quotable movie. I don't get it. All right, spiny lobe fish. Yeah. Uh, so big important question here. Hmm. I don't know where the hyphen goes. So are the lobes <laughs> spiny or is the whole fish spiny? And and most important question, can you deep fry it? Yeah. Well, you can, but the problem is the spines. Personally, I'm a bigger fan of lobey spine fish because mm. you know that's just like it's a spine mm-hmm. but with tons of lobes on it. Yeah. And you just you, just, you fry the whole thing. You just pick those off and eat them. Yeah. More meat. More meat on the lobby spinefish than on the spiny lobe fish. Good, good. And I think uh, lobby spinefish was a vaudeville guy. Uh, so <laughs> even better. Even better. Um, I'm glad that, uh, man, Riker does that really fast beam out at the end. He's holding the knife and he's like, emergency beam out. And it's a good thing Worf was on duty at the time. We have no idea what time of day it was. Because only, you know, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, Picard walks under the bridge. It's 3 a.m. Everything's shut down. Data's in the seat. Data doesn't have a care in the world. And um, it could have taken, like, I don't know, 45, 60 seconds to beam Riker back up. Well, if O'Brien at work has taught us anything, there is always somebody standing in the transporter room just in case. Just waiting. Just waiting. Let's see. Oh, and uh, we learned that Dr. Crusher has repaired the damage to Riker's long-term memory. I'm glad that we cleared that up in one line of exposition. <laughs> just, yeah. we're, we're just going to fix memory. Boom. So theoretically, he remembers everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Both short-term and long-term. Yeah, which, which then raises an interesting question about what actually happened on Talonus IV. Hmm. Okay, so Riker did fight back with the knife, <laughs> and he says, I managed to get one of them off me. Yeah. Uh... So did he kill a guy? Okay. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Because you just... Network. Okay. All right. Done. I am surprised that John did not mention the cost savings in this episode. By having Riker, imagine everything. The production must have saved a lot of money on actors. So I think we established this before, but I just want to be clear. Every bit of this up until the end when Riker is sitting there sort of rehashing what's happened, Mm -hmm. everything in this episode until the very end of Act 5 is all dream stuff, right? Or like in his head. Pretty much, yeah. Because we see one of the guys from Talonis 4 in the prologue, Mm -hmm. which means before the prologue. Basically everything we're seeing, he's already at least two days on Talonis 4 at that point. Right, yeah. All right, so everything is Riker's psyche trying to both make sense of stuff and to put up walls as barriers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Just want to make sure. <laughs> it's pretty oh, much, okay, I, well, I thought you... Well, no, I mean, so yeah. the questions I have then are, so, like, everything that happens basically is Riker's brain trying to do something. Yeah. I mean, when it's the uh, guys from Talonus, I don't know what we call them, Tal- Talon- Talonosians? What would you call them? Shh. 
Sure, just don't confuse them with Tolosians. They hate it when you do that. They hate it. Okay, but it's actually it's actually kind of annoying that they're so close too, because the Tolosians were total mind bleepers, right? Yeah, I mean that's what they did, right? And right. and that's really I, we don't know what the Tolonis people do, but that is what these particular Tolonis people are doing. I mean, they can't govern mm. for, you know, crud because their government has fallen right. into disarray, which is why Riker's there to pull their guys out. It's like everything that happens is a piece of Riker's brain doing something, except maybe for the parts with the people from Talonis. Like the people from Talonis or whatever is trying to invade Riker's brain, right? And yeah. then everything else, the knife wound, obviously, is the implant in his head. He's feeling that pain. It's sort of like a dream thing, right? Where you're like... I fell asleep in a weird way one time, and I had this really amazing dream about Darth Vader. He was chasing me, hmm. and when I woke up, it's because I had like fallen asleep on the couch in such a way that my chin was basically sticking into my chest, and I was having trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. And so I was breathing so loud and so weird that my dream state made it Darth Vader. Now, it really would have been great instead if my brain had been like, dude, <laughs> you're like choking because I kind of was. But I mean, like everything is everything is like like the knife wound is the, the probe either going into his head or just the annoyance of having the probe in his head. Yeah. yeah. And the guys from Talonis are the guys from Talonis. And, you know, uh, Picard and Troy and Worf are are parts of Riker's psyche trying to get him to keep it together so the guy who is burned mm-hmm. in sickbay mm-hmm. the guy with the with the guy with the burned hands who got you know hit by the plasma torch right. and who's reaching out to Riker. who's that guy see I, I didn't think he was a real guy i i just thought he was he was either the pain that he was experiencing during whatever procedures are happening to him on Tolonus 4. I mean, I, other than the, the implant, you know, um, or, or he was sort of uh, Riker's brain trying to do a redirect. You know, he, here's, a, here's something traumatic happening to redirect away from what else is going on. Interesting. See, because I was wondering if maybe he represented... If the guy who got burned by the plasma torch represented the danger, because the guys from Talonis are trying to get into Riker's head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Riker's head has a bunch of secrets sure. that you wouldn't want the Romulans to have. You wouldn't want the Cardassians to have. I don't know that it matters, honestly, if the people from Talonis have it or not, unless the away team or the group of people that Riker was originally sent would be in more danger if they knew that they were there. So, mm-hmm. like, I thought mm-hmm. maybe that guy represented what it is that Riker has to protect mm-hmm. and what he has to protect against. He has to protect against, you know, people who are not doing anything, who are just minding their own, suddenly getting hurt. Now, there are, or maybe it's just, I mean, there are, like, little weird things. Like, so much of this episode is just kind of Inception-y. Yeah. But then there are little weird things, and I'm like, okay, what is that thing supposed to be? Like, what happened to Riker in the, his first year at the Academy? Who is that guy right there? Yeah, we know right, who everybody right. else is, and everybody else there is actually there to push Riker in a direction, either pushing him to reveal his information or pushing him to hold on to his sanity. Hmm. And then there's this guy in the middle of it who's like, oh, he's, he's hurt and he's burnt and he's staring straight at Riker and that freaks Riker out. Mm-hmm. Who's that guy? Hmm. We may never know. No, I, I think he'll be in the next episode. He might be. I probably will. Yeah. <laughs> they should do that. Oh, that would be so uh, weird, right? Great. Next episode, Riker's walking down the hall, and there's a guy walking with bandages on his hands. <laughs> and over in the corner, a spinning top. I, I love it. I love it. I, I think that it, this is an episode where, you know, there, there are cool things that happen, but I, I really want to talk about character um, and, and treatment of this character, because... Next Gen, up until this point, has really had maybe two types of shows. You have the overall ensemble pieces where everybody plays their respective role. And then the Picard pieces where all the dramatic weight, all the action is centered around Picard's story or, or what's going on in his head. A couple of minor exceptions there, but but not always not always hitting the high marks, right? So it's taken us six seasons and up until now, Riker has been the Playboy Kirk stand-in. If you need someone to go to a planet and seduce someone, you send Riker. You know, that, that kind of became a, a running joke for a little while. And we got little hints along the way of Riker's showpieces. He, he had a, 
a similar though benign experience in Future Imperfect and and then the Riker plotline in First Contact was more memorable for the comedy involved. Now, this episode just comes out of left field. We've had a bunch right in a row that were uh, Picard stories, deeply into Picard's psyche and his conflicts. And here we have Riker alone on a dangerous mission. And what's more, the mission fails. And then he's psychologically tortured. It's a real showcase for Riker and, well, a real showcase for Jonathan Frakes. And can we talk just for a moment about how hard that is to pull off for an actor? So I didn't remember this entirely uh, when I went back to watch it for our show. I remembered it, but I didn't remember the details. I didn't remember kind of where it landed and, and what parts were real and what parts weren't. And just the idea of watching scenes over and over again. We've talked about this before where uh, where scenes have to be repeated, but you lay little clues as to what's different in those scenes. Just seeing Frakes play Riker play the the role in the the play within a play here the in frame of mind to see him hit these different notes as he gets more and more tortured absolutely fantastic and I feel a little cheated that we didn't get more and better stuff out of Riker up until now. I mean, we're six seasons. We were coming up on the end of six seasons here, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, we just remembered that we have this other really good actor here who can do things other than cock his head and wink at the girl and you know, pull a phaser. So it's a cool moment for Star Trek to be able to stop and not just focus on Picard the entire time. I love Picard. We, we always say it's redundant when we talk about how good uh, Stuart is as Picard. Yeah. But now we get to see that another actor is really good, too. It's kind of nice. Well, it's interesting. I think you're forgetting a bunch of episodes, but largely because they're fairly forgettable. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. when you say it's either ensemble or it's Picard, I think about the child. Well, I yeah. About, I, and I think about um, what was the two-parter that we just did recently where, I mean, the second part was all a wharf down on that planet with um, with them. With the Klingons and the Romulans. I feel like the, the problem with a lot of those episodes, though, is that there's not a whole lot that's pushing the character beyond what we know about them. You know, it, it's one thing when you take an episode like uh, like The Inner Light or um, it, I, pretty much anything that we have had Picard in where he's front and center. Even most recently, when we got to see him fall in love and fall out of love, it's like, wow, we actually get to push the character beyond what we know. With uh, with Birthright, we have Worf and it's about Worf. It's centric to him. But there's nothing there that we didn't already know about Worf. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? All right. Well, no, I, I, I misunderstood what you said. It sounded like you were saying that either... It sounded like you were saying either we have the ensemble or we have Picard. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, but you're right. I mean, if you're talking about like growing the character, I mean, you're, yeah, you're, 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 yes, yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. We have moments with other characters, but it, it, it seems like um, I, I look at this and I go, wow, there was some missed opportunities there to really push a character beyond the comfort zone. And that's what they did in this one. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's funny you say the events of Future Imperfect are benign. <laughs> How do we know that? Well, that's that's a good question. That's yeah. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, I I, I got to figure that all of this is sort of cumulative. It's sort of like when I asked, um, what two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I can't remember. At what point is Picard just going to kill himself? Hmm. Because I mean, it, so much stuff has happened. I mean, it, granted. They wake up in a new world every week, not quite the same as TOS. Mm -hmm. Like TOS, they they they, might, they could have easily met Baylock again in season three and not even remembered they met him in season sure one. Thing. That's how like yeah. that's how lack of continuity there was in TOS. Right. There's definitely more continuity here. They're always going to remember that Picard was locutus. Mm -hmm. Right. That's going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to remember how to play the flute. That's you know that's going to stick around. But we're not always going to feel those pains that they feel like. Like, like this episode could have ended instead of like with the whole explain at the end, like, ah, yes, I remember now I may or may not have stabbed a guy in an alley because mm -hmm. I was beset upon by bad guys. I mean, this, this episode could have ended in a much more dark way of, of, of Riker sitting with Troy saying it reminded me of my son. 
Hmm. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. we've got Picard walking around with his whole life now. Like, he has, like, all these memories of, like, his children, his grandchildren. I can't even remember. He might have even had one great-grandchild and a dying planet. And now he knows how to play the flute. Eh, tin whistle. Whatever. Point is, <laughs> um, I mean, Riker actually did kind of have that as well. He had Jean-Luc. He had an ex-wife named, or a wife who was deceased named Min. Yeah. Right? And And though he did not live the full life that Picard did... These were all things that he's sort of like, yeah, that, right, right, that happened. Yes, that that's part of me now. Oh, wait, that's not part of me? <sighs> right? And the same kind of thing is happening here. So, yeah, I mean, you're right, it's benign, but I think only because the writers tend to forget. It's like, oh, yeah, didn't we, didn't we screw with his brain one other time? <laughs> that's very true. In a really, in a really big way, actually. Yeah, yeah, well, at least the, the intention of that little alien in, um, in Future Imperfect, well, it was not evil. He was not trying to extract uh, memories for strategic purposes. He was just lonely. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him that. We'll give him <laughs> right. that. Right. He just wanted a dad. Yeah. But that's still, I'm, I'm saying it's still going to have a cumulative effect, though. Oh, sure. No, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So I actually had something that is going to tie back into last week, I think. What? I know. Is this whole episode an exploration of the Kerlin Nasco's that is Commander Riker. Oh. The many voices inside him stand up and applaud when he does something right, right? Uh -huh. And Worf and Troy and Picard appear to him to tell him to stay strong. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, Deanna does tell him in 10 Ford to explore the dark side of his psyche. And I don't know if that's Riker urging himself deeper as a way to keep the you know people who are trying to get into his brain from getting into his brain. Or if it's those guys actually, you know, trying to get into his brain more deeply. But yeah. I couldn't help think of the whole Curlin Nascos thing hmm. with, um, you know, so there's Riker. But then when we look into Riker's head, there are all those people sitting there watching him. What's he going to do? And, you know, offering encouragement when he goes in a good direction and, you know, offering him discouragement when he starts to head in a bad way. Hmm. I thought it was just kind of a. I'm I'm really digging the Kerlin Nascos. You are it comes down to. I'm yeah. digging that. Yeah. That whole idea has actually stuck with me um, since we recorded that episode. And and as I was watching this week, when it's like, once we get to the end and we realize there has not been anybody in this episode that we've actually seen doing anything except for Riker, and yet he's interacted with so many other voices. Yeah, mm. and. Uh, Again, sadly, he took it out of the box, but at least he made good use of it. I think the Kerlin-Eskis make a big comeback, and and I'm going to give you the credit for it. Not to be annoying, but do we actually know why Riker was being tortured? All right, Ken, so I just stepped outside so I can get a nice exterior look at where I am to sort of ground myself in time and space, remind myself that hopefully, hopefully, this last segment, this is the one where we're actually back in reality. I don't know about the other stuff. The other stuff could have just been a dream. There's still a top spinning on my desk. But all of this means that we've gotten to the point in the show where we get to wrap it up and we get to ask ourselves if the episode holds up and, and what maybe are the messages hidden within, within the show or within Riker's psyche. So, Ken, I'm going to pose it to you first. Does this episode hold up? From a production standpoint, I would say yes. From an acting standpoint, I would say definitely. There was one stupid thing in the episode, one stupid thing where Data comes up and says, oh, nice use of improvisation. Okay, well, that's dumb. But honestly, the rest of the episode is really well written and really well produced. And I'm going to go back to where I was a few months ago when we were recording the show. I'm conscious of the fact that we're under th 35 stories with these characters now, maybe under 30. And I'm kind of getting tired of I'm kind of getting tired of blowing them. This is, I mean, this is an interesting episode, and I like the whole Curlin Nascos added idea, I suppose, and it's kind of fun, and it is trippy, and each time I watched it, I got to the end saying, I'm really not sure how many layers down we were, or if it even worked in terms of layers, or if it was always just Riker, like, you know, surrounding himself with what's not real versus what's real. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's fine. It would be better if I knew that I had so many more stories. But where we are, where I mean, we're we're running out of Enterprise. Well, 
until we get to enterprise. <laughs> but, yeah, until you get there. Yeah, then you're good. But we're running out of another enterprise. We're running out of these characters. And so when we hit something, it's just like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to play with this? Or, hey, wouldn't it be trippy to play with that? Or, hey, would you like to do an adventure show in space? Uh, or an adventure mm-hmm. episode in space? That's cool. And I'm glad the writers got to play with that. I'm running out of Picard. Mm-hmm. I'm running out of Riker. I'm running out of Troy. You know? And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. It's a great episode if you know that you've got the limitless Star Trek. But I know that we're coming close to the end here, and there are real things I want to explore with these characters, not just mind trips. So, sure. Yeah, I mean, when this show was on, I probably would have loved it. But when this show was on, when when season six, and correct me if I'm wrong, we actually didn't know until halfway through season seven that season seven was going to be their last season, right? Right. Right. And knowing that we're coming up against that end, like when this show was on, I feel certain I just had a blast with it because this show was like at its height at that point. This show's going to be on for at least 10 years, maybe longer. Right. And so now that I'm watching it, you know, watching it against the stopwatch, episodes like this are kind of starting to frustrate me a little bit. Hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with the episode at all. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely mm-hmm. nothing wrong with this episode. So I'm, I'm maybe actually though I am one of the two people that has to be asked this question here, I might be the wrong person to ask. <laughs> I'm I'm now holding every episode against the best that Star Trek has to offer. Sure. Or the best it's had to offer so far. And and if it tries that and misses, I still applaud the attempt. But if it doesn't even try that, then I'm like, ah, you wasted a week and I've only got like 28 more weeks left <laughs> or 30 weeks left, you know? So... Yeah, it's fine. I'd say production-wise, it holds up. Story-wise, it even holds up. Um, it's just that it's it's just that I'm sort of sorry that knowing that we're coming to the end, that we, that we're not doing a deeper exploration. But maybe again too, that could also come off of last week was a very Star Trekky message. What's that? Can't remember the name of it, of course. <laughs> I can't remember which episode it was. It's the one with the Curl and Nazgos. It's the one with the, the chase. Uh, with, um, yeah. with Galen. Not, the chase. Not the paper Thank chase, you. but the chase. Yeah. Not the paper chase, no. nor the movie that apparently also starred uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah, of people, people know to me this week and said, yeah, yeah, people do know the chase. I'm not among them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe maybe that's part of the reason I'm disappointed because we had we had Die Hard in space, we had the romance in space, and then we had Star Trek. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. So we're doing that again. And now we have sort of the, you know, the you're trapped in an insane asylum in space. So, I mean, it, it it's fine. It's honestly a fine episode. Uh, except for the part where I'm not just looking for fine at this point. I'm looking for I'm looking for philosophy because the philosophers are packing up. Yeah. What about you, though? No, I, I get it. I, I get your frustration with it. And like I was saying in the last segment, I, I kind of feel like it is playing catch up a bit. It's like, oh, well, wait, we just remembered we have these other great characters that we can do things with when mm-hmm. maybe you could planted this episode in season three. Or a season four and allowed that character to develop the way that we've allowed Picard to develop. I, I, I get it. Um, however, I, I think I'm not as frustrated as you because I just really enjoyed the ride of this episode. Mm-hmm. It is dark. It's really dark. And I, and I love to see that every now and then sort of interject itself into Star Trek. Um, and it's another place where Star Trek isn't just one thing. It's a format to tell a lot of different types of stories. This one is about the human mind, perception, reality, and it is an incredible showpiece for Jonathan Frakes. And look, this is one of those episodes that automatically is going to get me excited anyway because of the mind trippiness, the whole idea of playing with memory, creating memories, the idea that we can mess with memory. I... I I enjoy that kind of thing anyway, and I've mentioned it before on our show, which is why I didn't go too deeply into that this time around. Um, but I, I I enjoyed it a lot for all of those reasons. And, and I guess I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just feel like I'm sort of savoring the moment, but uh, but I, I understand why you're thinking ahead. I, maybe uh, in the words of Roberto Orsi, Ken, maybe you're playing the home game and, and you know that the end is coming for next gen. Well, I am, in fact, playing the home game because, you know, somebody asked us to. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We, we, exactly. we are actually playing the home game. We are constantly. Here's what's 
funny to me, and I will bet this is going to be true of a lot of people listening as well. Mm-hmm. Nobody has any problem with the memory implant thing. Nobody mm-hmm. has any problem with all the, you know, but aliens that created life, come on. It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me that like, like everybody wants to talk about like when we did last week's episode, everybody wanted to talk about like, well, that's not how DNA works or how could they have possibly done this, you know, four billion sure, sure. years in advance. But we're talking about an advanced alien race that presumably could do with things that we don't know how to do. Yeah. We don't understand that today. How the the whatever the protectors, the originators, the the architects, the old ones, whatever you want to call them, we don't know how they worked. The preservers, yeah. The preservers. Okay, yeah. sure. If that's who they are. We don't understand how that works, and we're kind of upset by that idea. Well, we also don't understand how plugging like a, like a quarter-inch jack into the side of somebody's head is going to mess with their memories, but we love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, fa- it's fascinating to me. Like, things that we don't understand today, I, it's, it, it's weird. Because I had yeah. a feeling you were going to not be bothered by the lack of science in this science episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, but, and you're not. But, but that was the funny line to me is at the end in that voiceover from Picard in the very last couple of minutes, like, and that we fixed his, fixed his memory. <laughs> so all done there. All yeah, better. Yeah. It's like, hey, remember that time we erased that little girl's memory? Well, now we did the opposite in this one. So. Oh, uh, well, they screwed her up, though, because they left her with an artifact. Mm hmm. Too bad, little girl. Remember that time we screwed up her memory, but left her with the thing that nobody's going to be able to explain? Yep. Yeah, she's a witch. <laughs> but there have to be messages in here, right? Maybe. Um, Curlin Nace goes for the win. That okay. counts the one for me. Yeah. I mean, it's that's where Riker finds his strength. He finds his strength in the voice of others. Hmm. When he's there by himself, he thinks he's going mad. Mm-hmm. Troy appears to him and explains part of what's going on. Worf explains part of what's going on. Picard explains part of what's going on. Then the three of them together say, hey, listen, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're fine. It, I know it doesn't seem like you're fine, but you're fine. Beverly shows up and tells him he's fine. Mm-hmm. She doesn't actually show up, but, but she shows up and tells him he's fine. Worf and Data show up and try to bust him out. Now, they don't actually, but he knows they're going to, right? And, and that manifests itself in, in what happens uh, when he's asleep. Even the, even the woman who he doesn't actually know keeps telling him, don't let them tell you you're crazy. Mm-hmm. The voice is inside Riker. It's not just him out there by himself. It's, it's all the people that have, have, like, are, are part of him. And it's all the people that have come before this moment uh, that are compelling him forward. So there. There's the thing that I was looking for. I changed my answer. Now I love the episode. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> what, what about you, sir? What about messages as far as you're concerned? Yeah, it's not one of those save the whales messages here. Yeah, it's, it's not Star Trek writ large. Uh, but what's really cool and valuable is the psychological journey. You know, Riker has to challenge himself to strip back the layers of his own perception. He's got to question his own beliefs and the world around him. That's valuable stuff just on its own. Um, I'm not saying we will all be stuck in an alien prison one day where our captors are playing mind games with us. But but the exercise of asking yourself if what you think and what you perceive is, is really all there is, then that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. So, um, yeah, please, please don't get captured by aliens and have a thing jacked into your head that's messing with your memories. Don't do that. But the idea of looking at your perception of reality, not not a terrible thing. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about all kinds of things Roddenberry related at Roddenberry.com. Would you like to help support this show? We'd love it if you did. Find out how and what you get for doing so at Patreon.com slash Mission Log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that is Trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. On the next episode of Mission Log, Suspicions. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. If you will pardon me. 
I have to go see if the top on the table has stopped spinning. End transmission. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.